Welcome to the Remarkable Relationship Show with Mercy Russell, where we find the wonder in your story. I will be your host for the next hour. I have over 35 years of experience applying the science of relationship systems to my practice of psychotherapy and leadership consulting. My intuitive skills allow me to bring clarity and vision to your challenges. I hope you will be surprised in the next hour. Good morning. This is Mercy Russell with the Remarkable Relationship Show. My goal is to bring a fresh perspective to you on all things related to how humans develop their individual brilliance while navigating the excitement, stickiness, and resistance in their relationships. In my 40 years of working as a psychotherapist and consultant, I have been continually amazed at the ways in which people overcome challenges. I hope to share my experience and insights so that you can find the magic in your relationships. My hope in this show is to answer questions and challenges you are facing in your relationships. There are several ways you can ask me a question. <clears throat> you can send me a question by email at mercy at leadershipwithmercy.com. This gives you anonymity, since I will not share the identity of the listener asking the question. I often disguise the identity of the listener by changing details while addressing the problematic dynamic. My answers will be available during the live show, as well as on the KKNW podcast and the KKNW YouTube channel of the show. In addition, I post transcripts of the shows on my website, leadershipwithmercy.com. Please don't be shy about asking questions. I recognize that it can take courage to call in to a radio show, especially about personal matters. I have rarely heard a unique dilemma. Your question will help other people listening to the show. Plus, this allows me to know what interests you. I am interested in all corners of human behavior and relationships, so I need your help to know how I can address what troubles and intrigues you. Eventually, I would like to have listeners call into the show. I am excellent on the spot, knowledgeable, and intuitive. As a listener, I get so much more from a conversation between the host and the caller. So today, <clears throat> I am going to be talking about Bowen Family Systems Theory. I'm going to share my screen. And let me see, I always have to manage this. Um, it's a little awkward for me. Um, share screen. And now, so I, this is for people who are watching the YouTube video. You'll get a chance to, you know, see the presentation that I've prepared. So, okay. So today I'm going to be talking about Bowen theory, uh, the family systems perspective. I have talked about Bowen theory in the past and referred to it. Um, but for particular reasons today, this is going to be sort of an introductory presentation to the ideas of the theory in a bit more formal way than the way that I normally share about Bowen theory. 
Bowen theory is the framework for understanding human behavior that I have used for over 30 years in my clinical practice, my work in organizations and businesses, and in my personal life with my family, friends, and colleagues. It guides my curiosity and fascination with everyone and every mess I meet. I have done my best to make this way of thinking my own. The inspiration for this presentation today is Dr. Ann Bunting. Dr. Bunting studied with Dr. Murray Bowen at the Georgetown Family Center in Washington, DC before his death in 1990. When she moved to Shelburne, Vermont, she began teaching Bowen theory and became a sought after, sought after Bowen therapist. In November, 1988, I moved back to my hometown on the other side of the state of Vermont, St. Johnsbury. As a young therapist, I was confounded by my inability to change my role and behavior in my family of origin. I found a book titled The Therapist's Own Family in a mail order psychotherapy book club. This compilation of essays by therapists applying Bowen theory to their own families became my lifeline. I was then led to Dr. Bunting by a dear friend, Marcia Abrams and a colleague. When I sat down with her, with Dr. Bunting, <clears throat> I explained that I was trained in systems as a clinical social worker. She laughed at me. That began my 32 effort, 32 year effort to become a systems thinker, undoing a deep bias of thinking of the human as an individual independent of his or her relationships. Dr. Bowen was my first supervisor, teacher, and mentor. She became a loyal colleague and a dear friend. Dr. Bunting died on Sunday, November 14th, November 13th. With Alzheimer's, she was able to choose to die by not eating or drinking, kindly placing her hand on the arm of the nurse or aide each time they offered her food, water, or medicine. She lived Bowen theory, embedded in a vibrant family and community while staying true to herself. Today, I hope to share something that may inspire a listener's curiosity about the power of their relationship system as Dr. Bunting inspired me. Family therapy. Dr. Bowen developed Bowen Family Systems Theory in the course of finding a way to do therapy with clients that began to incorporate the family. Can you change one person in the family without changing each of the others and the whole system? Can you predict how the others will change when you move one person, when one person changes? Can you separate one person from the whole? And then if one person stays steady, what happens to the others? I think of these questions uh, as if I were looking at a mobile, right? Where all the pieces 
are intertwined and where movement in any one of them creates movement in ways that are often unpredictable in other components of the of of the um, mobile. Family members act as if they are attached to each other. <clears throat> in systems therapy, we, we see that every important family member plays a part in the dysfunction of the dysfunctional member. Bowen therapy is directed at helping the family to modify its patterns of function. When it is possible to modify the family relationship system, the dysfunction is alleviated, even though the dysfunctional one may not have been part of the therapy. <clears throat> so we're going to talk about two terms that are essential to thinking about Bowen family systems theory terms that um, I think are, are used, of course, very generally, but we have really quite specific uh, ways of understanding them in Bowen theory. Emotion and family. <clears throat> Emotion. All processes that guide the individual automatically with an environment are emotion. This includes genetic factors, experientially acquired mechanisms, we'll talk more about that, and the functional state of the individual at the moment, would be sort of the feeling in, that, that the individual's experiencing. Bowen conceived of emotion as similar to Darwin's description of emotion in animals, instinctual and rooted in the reptilian brain. This is very different from what we think of as feeling. The emotional system is a life force. It's present in one-celled animals all the way up the life, tree, the, the life tree to humans. It causes living things to grow and results in automatic behaviors. Feeling is the superficial state or visceral experience of emotion. So what are the features of emotion <clears throat> that we think of in Bowen theory? First of all, genetic. Genetic features of emotion are often experienced by the individual and group as given traits of the individual that may be shared by kin. So there's certain patterns of reactivity that, are, that can be inherited, uh, can be diagnosed, and that can be seen as patterns in families. Field of psychology has contributed much, contributed much to seeing the genetic basis of these common traits. Experientially acquired mechanisms are the acquired traits of individuals that may be shared by the group through culture, through education, through learning. The functional state of the individual in the moment, in feelings in the individual, is often is communicated through facial and bodily expressions to others in the group. So we call what we call the expression of feeling in the body is the functional state of the individual moment to moment. So here's an example. If you think about the search for food and how emotion, the emotional force is part of that search for food. So we have inheritable traits of hunger and, does, and the need to find food. And the features that would go into that ability to find food would be muscular strength 
which could vary male to female and, you know, different, different people and different families. Keen eyesight. <clears throat> um, someone without keen eyesight is really hampered in, in terms of searching for food. And then your basal metabolic rate, the ability to store fat, burn or conserve calories. And we know that people, metabolism really can vary, you know, family to family, person to person. Then there are the learned mechanisms. <clears throat> These would include skill with weapons, agriculture, knowledge of edible plants and insects. These are gained through experience or imitation or transferred knowledge in the group, and they become part of the emotional system. But they're acquired kind of lifetime to lifetime, not so much transmitted genetically. <clears throat> but these abilities are part of the way that the organism is moving emotion to move out, moving through, through space for its own survival. And then finally, the functional state of the individual in the moment, more what we commonly think of as emotion, which might be feeling of hunger in the gut or the pleasure or pain in participating in the group search, the group hunt, or the feeding activity. And these would be other emotions that would be associated with food. So this is just an example of what we're, th when we use the word emotion in Bowen theory, we're talking about a much <clears throat> more basic um, uh, instinctual pattern. So what comes first? Families. The human evolved in a, a family group. So for those of you who can see this image, I have a picture of a, of a Neanderthal family. Neanderthals lived in very small family groups. But no individual evolved on its own. There were always families as part of how humans evolved. So all the systems in our physiology and in our bodies that drive our emotions evolved in the context of these relationship systems. The family is the basic unit of the emotional of the emotional life of the human and the individual. So the basic human unit in the Bowen's theory is conceived of as the multi-generational family system. <clears throat> it's built up of blocks of nuclear family units. This is very different than seeing that the individual human is the basic emotional unit or the dyad, the two-person system. You know, in, in Bowen theory, we're looking at a multiple generational unit. The emotional need for another established in each individual in each nuclear family, but the product of countless generations links each generation to its past while at the same time it influences the future. So <clears throat> for those of you who can see the video, what I'm showing is a diagram of a multi-generational family with three generations. And what you can see is you know, three layers of um, uh, individuals represented by squares and circles, and then a lot of lines indicating the types of dynamics and emotions that live in this system, in triangles and between individuals. It, there are basic core ideas in Bowen theory that are tied into this framework that I'm describing. The emotional system that guides life has evolved over billions of years. 
So, you know, this is a theory that's based in the, in the theory of evolution. Um, and that the way that the human is comprised has been has evolved over billions of years from from through the evolution of life on the earth. The emotional system of humans is a product of this evolution, and the emotional system that it, where that that <clears throat> that is the root of the emotional system of the human is the same emotional system that has driven the lives of amoeba and um, and and bacteria and early forms of life. The emotional system guides most human activity despite language, cognition, and thought. So this shared emotional system with other forms of life is very basic to human functioning. The mechanisms of the emotional system evolved in the family. So the, the way that these emotional systems are or have evolved or live in humans, evolved in patterns in humans through the family. Now, the way you respond to members of your family influences their behavior, feelings, and thoughts. That's the core idea of the impact of this family emotional system. So just for an experiment, for those of you who are listening, <clears throat> to think about, to test these ideas. This is, you know, pick one member, pick one habit of another family member that you don't like. It could even be one of your habits. How do you typically react? Now, find another way to respond. So when, um, when your children argue at the dinner table, be sweet instead of scolding them, or use humor, or act bored, or ignore it. Do something different. Try something different. Practice until you get it right. You might get thrown off course, but practice this new behavior until you get it right. And then watch and observe. <clears throat> what changes do you see in other family members? Does the change in your behavior change the behavior of other family members? So we're now going to take a break. This is Mercy Russell with the Remarkable Relationship Show. Today, I'm talking about Bowen Theory and Tribute to Ann Bunting. We'll be right back after the break. Do you make a positive difference in the world? Do you have a talent, philosophy, base of knowledge, product or service that you know could help a lot of people if only you could reach them? Join Alternative Talk 1150's family of broadcasters and start walking down a fruitful path. As host of your very own program, dial 425-653-1150 and find out just how affordable it can be to have a show on 1150 AM. That's 425-653-1150. Alternative Talk, we have an opportunity waiting just for you. Find out the latest about your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150. Check out 1150kknw.com. Hello, this is Mercy Russell with the Remarkable Relationship Show, where today I'm talking about Bowen theory. I'm giving a very basic introduction to the ideas of Bowen family systems theory. This is in tribute to my mentor, Dr. Ann Bunton. So now we're going to be talking about the leader in the family. Um, so just for example, you know, if you're thinking about a problem in the family, let's just suppose, you know, imagine it's the child um, <clears throat> who's perhaps uh, ill or 
refusing school has a behavioral problem or a physical problem or an emotional problem. Um, the question that Bowen theory would ask is, is your child really the problem? Bowen family systems theory <clears throat> um, uses two other terms that I'm going to talk about today. One is anxiety and another is symptoms. Now these are terms that are commonly used in mental health. But in Bowen theory, we have a much broader um, way of thinking about anxiety than the clinical definition of anxiety as a symptom or a problem. <clears throat> Acute anxiety and chronic anxiety are two features of anxiety. I think of anxiety as a life force. It's living in us all the time to one degree or another. Acute anxiety can be observed in changes in physiology, behavior, and facial expression. So this is observable, immediate anxiety that's felt and that can be observed. Now, <clears throat> chronic anxiety, on the other hand, is not observed directly. This is my way of thinking about it. It's like the wind. It is evident through the observations of its effect on the relationship system, much as the wind will affect the, the movement of trees. You, you don't see the wind itself, but you see how it affects other, uh, uh, other things, a flag, um, dust in the ground. <clears throat> in the relationship system, chronic anxiety exhibits itself in symptoms in individuals, in the family or repetitive relationship patterns across generations in the family and even genetic changes. So this the uh, um, chronic anxiety can create epigenetic changes in the, in the DNA. So the acute anxiety with the changes in physiology, behavior and facial expression is a time limited response to a real threat experienced physiologically with the release of epinephrine. It's often experienced as an increased heart rate with sweating and the urge to fight, flee, or freeze. Now, chronic anxiety, on the other hand, is a sustained stress response. And sometimes this is often spoken about in medicine as the kind of long-term stress that can have still affect the physiology. It may not be felt moment to moment, but it can have deleterious effects. And it's a, a strained, it's a sustained stress response to a perceived real or imaginary threat that inhibits healthy functioning on a physiological, emotional, or mental level. So this is something that is sort of underground and constant in a way. It's not observed directly. And it's a form of energy that can motivate behavior, feelings, and physical changes. This Beaufort scale, for those who are watching the YouTube video, is a scale of the uh, how the wind can be observed at sea in, and, and judged for the speed of the wind based on how it affects the, the waves in the ocean, um, buildings on the shore, plants, and, um, uh, and, and other boats. <clears throat> so 
So this is just a good example of the this metaphor of how anxiety can be observed by its effects. Like a waterfall, chronic anxiety travels through symptoms, behavior changes, and the genetic changes across the generations. So chronic anxiety can, can move down the generations from one generation to the next. So the current living generation can and carry the feature, carry the traces of anxiety that may have been created by trauma, by separation, by by some kind of major stressful event to the family or individuals in previous generations. This gets encoded in the physiology. It can be transmitted through genetic changes and and through experience and modeling and education and culture, that kind of thing. Now, the other term that we talk about in Bowen theory, or we have our own definition, not own definition, but our version of definition for it is symptoms. We think about symptoms in a very broad way. Symptoms in any part of the family are viewed as evidence of dysfunction. And the symptoms can be emotional symptoms, depression, um, anxiety, um, mania, um, uh, physical symptoms, you know, illnesses, conflictual symptoms, are which would be conflict or fighting in a marriage um, among siblings, um, you know, in, <clears throat> with strangers, um, and then also social symptoms. And social symptoms um, are have been conceptualized in terms of acting out. Uh, Illegal behaviors, breaking the law, uh, addiction is seen um, by Bowen theory as a social symptom. Um, um, we know it has uh, genetic and physical components, but it also is a uh, a symptom that <clears throat> that um, affects social functioning. So there have been promising results from the effort to view all emotional symptoms as evidence of family dysfunction rather than intrapsychic phenomena. So what this is saying is that emotional problems and the emotional functioning of an individual are rooted in the patterns in the family, not inside the individual. This is a very big difference. It makes a big difference in how one thinks about the symptom and what one does to relieve it. Symptoms in the family mark the path of anxiety, acute or chronic, as it travels through the family. Also, now <clears throat> one of the thing, one of the concepts in Bowen theory that talks about how this anxiety travels is called the family projection process. This pattern operates to some degree in all families, and this involves the transfer of anxiety from parent to child. And it can be in the form of an overly positive or negative emotion. So it's the projection of anxiety from one generation to the next, generally from a parent to a child. And again, this is usually an, what I would think of as a, an unconscious process. This is not something that the parent intends to do. The parent or parent intends to hand anxiety to the child. It's just a very natural, universal um, fact of how the family 
system, the large family system manages the anxiety that is a life force, but also a residue from all the kinds of challenges that humans have in surviving and living in society and culture. Now, the child is more vulnerable often to developing symptoms in response to life stressors because of this projection of anxiety. The family This family projection process is universal. It happens in every family, right? Even families where that don't have where its children don't have symptoms or problems, the projection is still happening on a very subtle basis and will can affect the and will affect the functioning of that individual over the course of a lifetime, <clears throat> even if it's not so much in terms of illness or observable dysfunction, but alterations in uh, um, ability to meet goals or um, to function in other relationships. So this is a process that's really quite often invisible until it's seen, right? Until you see it over and over again. <clears throat> so for those who are watching YouTube, again, I'm showing, I'm gonna show this process with the diagram. And what I'm showing are two families, um, the families of, of uh, a man and a woman. And the, and the, the, the young, these are young adults who are separating from their nuclear family, kind of growing up, wanting to leave home um, and, and to get out of the family. <clears throat> and what do they do? These two young adults fall in love, right? So all they're now a new unit. They marry and there's a honeymoon period. It's a very kind of, can be a very cozy togetherness. Sometimes it lasts, it's a short time and there's fighting before the, wedding and sometimes it lasts quite a while <clears throat> but there it can be a very kind of and it can depend on what's going on in the larger family but there's a honeymoon phase and then <clears throat> this couple has a child and they this projection process starts with the young couple and the child and this happens even in a bath of love right that this projection is happening now, in this family, there's, say, an incidence of acute stress. So the wife's mother develops a symptom. Let's say she has gets a diagnosis of cancer. And the anxiety about this in the family <clears throat> will begin to travel down through the generations. And this is the transmission of acute anxiety. So the daughter starts worrying about her mother's health. Um, and then and that trickles down to the child and the child develops a symptom. Perhaps the, they wet, start wetting the bed. Uh, it can be something very innocent. Um, and perhaps it may lead to some conflict in the marriage. <clears throat> if the anxiety becomes chronic, it can result in a symptom in the child. It, so it becomes, in a sense, can become fixed. And this is a very common process. And it's often done, certainly not <clears throat> by the will of the parent, but just in the process of how anxiety trickles down through the generations. When there are more than one children in the family, <clears throat> this sort of projection of, to the, of, of the family projection process often can become more focused on one child than another, 
<clears throat> now, when you see this child focus outside of the family, you'll see things such as parents and teachers who are anxious about the differences in children in school, and they focus on the child as a problem, as opposed to just seeing the child as being naturally different, right? That all children are different, and this child just has its own unique particularities. And then in some situations, when anxiety is involved, those particularities will be seen as, as a problem. Now, the negative focus on the child results in more problematic behavior in the child. So this negative and focus or concern about the problem often ex exaggerates the concern because the child is taking in and absorbing anxiety and it becomes more amplified in the symptom. <clears throat> and it's very common that adults in the emotional system of the family, the school, and, the, and a mental health agency or a hospital or a clinic can transfer their anxiety to the child, even through caring, because caring can hold and bind anxiety in a way that looks nice. Child focus is natural. <clears throat> it's not a conscious process. It's unconscious. And the, but Bowen theory describes a symptom in a child, and we I'm talking about children as the focus. The, these dynamics also take place if you're thinking about a, a one of the adults, a one of the mother or the father having a symptom, right? So, but it's a manifestation of an emotional process in the family, in the in the child, in this, in perhaps emotional process in the school or social institutions. Parents, teachers, and caregivers experience their concern for the ch child as a form of love. This often, <clears throat> scolding can often be love. Often, I was just hearing a story, you know, recently from a very strong matrilineal culture, um, you know, Southern European culture, where, you know, the mother's expression of love is to try to fix things and to criticize. They're, but they're generally, these parents are generally unaware of how their anxiety about the child is rooted in their own lives. That in fact, they're transferring problems that they may be faced with, that they don't know what to do about through this concern or love for the child. <clears throat> All right, so another experiment. So we're about to take a second break. Here, so here's another experiment that you can take to kind of test some of these ideas. Make a simple timeline of the births, marriages, major life events, illnesses, and deaths in the family. And go back a couple generations. Include the grandparents, aunts, uncles, and cousins. See if you can make a simple timeline. Now, if there's a, with an individual in the, in the family who you're worried about, who has start, who has been having problems, enter the dates when that person started to have problems. <clears throat> now, see if there's an overlap between those two timelines, the timeline of the symptom and the timeline of the major life events in the family. <clears throat> Very happy events, such as births and marriages, can disrupt the balance of the family and stir up ang this unconscious anxiety. Right, it's like a life force. It's not um, the worry that we think about on a surface level. 
So they may, these may be events that are not associated with worry, but nevertheless, they can trigger symptoms. This is Mercy Russell with the Re Remarkable Relationship Show. Today, I'm talking about Bowen Family Systems Theory, giving a brief introduction to the theory in tribute to Anne Bunting. We'll be back after the break. Want to promote your business uniquely and effectively? KKNW is the answer. Let us help you produce a professionally sounding radio show or podcast. Learn more at 1150kknw.com. KKNW, talk variety that's live and local. Multicultural, multidimensional even. Alternative Talk 1150. Hello, <clears throat> this is Mercy Russell with a Remarkable Relationship Show. Today I'm talking giving a brief introduction to Bowen Family Systems Theory. It's a tribute to my mentor, Dr. Ann Bunting. So who can you change in the family? It's human nature to want to change someone else. So when you're working with families that are worried about a child, the parents begin the therapy with the premise in Bowen theory that this is a family problem, that the total family can change if the parents change, and that the family therapy will be directed to the parents without involving the child. This approach puts the responsibility for change on the parents, relieves the child of responsibility for change, and permits the child to have an occasional session alone if he's interested. Some of the most striking changes in family psychotherapy have been in families in which the child was never involved in the family therapy. <clears throat> Remember, child focus is an innocent process. No one is at fault. The desire to protect the child is a strong biological drive for parents. So the behaviors that transmit anxiety are part of this strong child, the drive of the parents to fix or protect the child. And likewise, the sense of responsibility to help the child is a strong professional identity for teachers and mental health professionals. These drives can blind parents and mental health professionals from seeing their own part in the child's problem. On the other hand, the system's approach does not blame the parents. It doesn't blame the therapists or the clinicians either, although we, you know, our goal here is to help helpers learn how not to become part of the problem. <clears throat> so when you think about the parent as the leader in the family, I really like this sort of very classic prayer which we call the serenity prayer. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So <clears throat> how do you become aware of your own anxiety, your own acute anxiety? This is the anxiety in the moment, in the present, and the anxiety that can be felt. This can take the form of worried thoughts, feeling anxious or depressed or angry, sometimes not at the person who's ill or in the family. It could be sometimes directed towards something else, but there would be this level of, of emotional agitation. 
physical symptoms. Anxiety can, you know, can um, be experienced as muscle tension or an upset stomach or restlessness. Um, Short-temperedness, forgetfulness, and difficulty focusing are another forms of acute anxiety, excessive sleeping, or difficulty sleeping. Uh, and likewise, loss, loss of appetite or overeating. So the first step for the, for the helper or the parent who wants to take responsibility for their own part in the anxiety and the problem is to become aware of how anxiety is affecting me, the individual. So you also can look for patterns of chronic behavior in the family values that are based on family history. So you can transmit chronic anxiety to your children by insisting on certain values. And these values might be linked to um, difficult, stressful, traumatic experiences in the past. So for example, a family value of academic achievement could be rooted in a family history of lack of education, uh, the problems associated with low social status or even loss of social status. The family value of the importance of the mother, of the role of the mother and the wife as being over-responsible for the welfare of others. And this perhaps can be based in a, in a history in past generations of child neglect, uh, of the loss of a mother, of the sacrifice of personal goals, for the mother or for the woman in the family in, 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 you know, in prior centuries, this, this was a reality. And then of the dependence of women that in, in prior generations and, and also currently being financially dependent can then lead to then the role in which the wife and the mother become over-responsible in the home. The role of the father, the family, here's the family value of the role of the father and the husband as a silent breadwinner. You know, the value, his value for the family is the money that he brings home. And he's not expected to take an active role at home. <clears throat> now, this could be rooted in prior generations in which the, the male's abandoned families or there were marital affairs so in a current generation there can be this sort of long-suffering father or husband who's expected to be there and to do what to, to be responsible for the family without consideration of his own personal needs another family value is child obedience so what can that be rooted in? Well, we have a culture with it, but it also can be rooted in a prior generation of rebellion, trouble with authorities, child neglect, going into um, um, a history of, of children who, um, uh, who you know, broke the law and went to jail. Family value of financial success can be rooted in a prior generation of poverty or loss of social status. Now, this isn't always true, but this is what you want to consider when you're thinking about how chronic anxiety can be transmitted across generations and to your children. So, <clears throat> accept the things I cannot change. 
What is your true responsibility as a parent? This changes as children mature. You're right. You're not responsible for feeding your children when they're 22. You should, you know, you shouldn't have to be. That's just because you were when they were two or five doesn't mean that you are still when they're 22. The parental influence is strongest between infancy and age seven. Can you see your children for who they are, right? Perhaps you can't change their basic character, their basic personality. Can you see them for who they are different from you? How can you stay out of their way so that they can find out who they, who they want to be, right? As opposed to you molding them into the image that you would, that you desire. The courage to change the things I can. Now, this is, you know, the, this is the important, this is the, the big part of the prayer. And let me say it's easier said than done. Can you change how you express your anxiety through becoming more aware and, and developing discipline over how you express it? Not only verbally, but with your body language. Can you take, how can you take more responsibility for your own life, right? When you start worrying about others, who, what are you not paying attention to in your own life? Can you change your behavior and face your fears about upsetting others, right? If you change your behavior and the way you do things, can you, can you take the risk that others will be upset, even if it's for the good of everyone? <clears throat> the wisdom to know the difference. So how do you know the difference between what you can change or what you can't change and have the courage to do the change? Who do you go to for help? It's very hard to see our own functioning. We're least objective about our own functioning. It can be very important to find someone who won't take sides, who'll stay neutral about the situation. They won't take sides, including yours. Right. So even a good friend can be your friend without taking your side against somebody you're worried about in the family or having a problem with or a conflict with. So this wisdom includes seeking help. It also includes knowing or finding the information you need to make better choices. You may need to educate yourself. You may need to find different ideas. <clears throat> So here's my third experiment for you. Identify someone you worry about in the family. For example, a child who's spending a lot of time on video games. What similar behavior can you change about yourself? How much time are you spending posting on social media, right? Or reading the news, right? Or watching the television, watching sports on the television. So look at a comparable behavior of yours and then take steps to alter that behavior. For example, you set a timer for yourself when you're looking at social media, right? And then you can communicate your effort to the family. <clears throat> Let the others know what you're trying to do without relating your effort to your worry about someone else. You say something like, I want to spend less time on Facebook, so I'm setting a timer. Right. But you don't link it to, hey, you should do that with your video game. Right. 
you just take responsibility for yourself. Uh, modeling behavior is so powerful, particularly for parents. So all members of the family are part of the system. The thoughts, fantasies, feelings, and behavior of each person impacts the others. There are often members in the family who are kind of quiet. Uh, a child who um, is sort of less burdened by this family anxiety and is a, you know doesn't cause any problems and is a good student and really just kind of goes about their they're growing up in a very kind of calm way. <clears throat> they're still part of the system, right? So just remember that everyone is involved. Anxiety in the family naturally flows to the next generation. An overly worried or proud focus on a child can create a child with physical, emotional, mental, or behavioral symptoms. So just remember that your own worry is almost, um, well, I hate to use the word, but it's almost like poison to the next generation. So you have to try to find to get a very realistic view of, is this something I really need to worry about? The total family can change if the parents change. So the key here is to lead change in the family by leading and changing yourself, right? That is a really basic tenet of Bowen theory. Any motivated person working on themselves, understanding and learning their patterns, the family patterns, their role in the family, can begin to change the fam. can begin by making changes in themselves will impact the family they may get some pushback along the way during this course of changing their behavior and acting more out of for self than for the family. They may get pushback, but eventually other members of the family will pick up their functioning too. This is just the physics of human relationships in the family and the physics of change in the relationship system. So the primary effort is to, to change self. So for therapists who are, you know, who are looking at families, <clears throat> the therapists often will look for the most motivated individual, the person who, who's most motivated to make the change. Sometimes it's the, often it's the most worried parent, right, who's coming in and who's really focused on changing things. And if that person can get motivated to make the changes themselves, then that's the that can affect the whole family. So in Bowen theory, we rarely sit with the family in the room. It's not that we can't, but it's just the work takes place with each individual taking steps and responsibility for themselves in improving their own functioning, managing their own anxiety, and developing one-to-one -one relationships with other members of the family in which they in which they share you know they share they have a genuine emotional connection that I let you know what's going on with me and I know what's going on with you so what I've done today is to give you some very basic ideas about Bowen family systems theory
um, it's this has been oriented toward thinking about um, problems in the family that might be focused on the child, right? And these same principles will apply when there are concerns about any other member of the family, um, you know, with the types of symptoms that we talked about. Um, if you would like to learn more about Bowen Family Systems Theory, I can I recommend and I'll have in the show notes uh, a couple, I think, very, um, uh, <clears throat> very friendly um, uh, introductions. One is called a book called Extraordinary Relationships, A New Way of Thinking About Human Interactions. And the author is Dr. Roberta Gilbert. These are This is a book that's easily found on Amazon. And then more recently, Jenny Brown has written a book called Growing Yourself Up, How to Bring Your Best to All of Life's Relationships. Um, these are two, two very um, user-friendly for the layperson. I wouldn't call them self-help books. Jenny's maybe, you know, a little bit more... Um, you know, give a uh, sort of uh, um, oriented toward application. Uh, Roberta is going to give you a, a way of, she's going to teach you the theory in a very simple way. Um, <clears throat> for those who are interested in Bowen theory, I welcome your, any types of questions that you have or any um, contact in terms of, you know, your desire to learn more or to work with a Bowen therapist. Um their Bowen theory is applied in the workplace and in organizations and in faith communities. It's taught in seminaries. It's very useful for pastors working in congregations and with families and, of course, in their own family lives. Bowen therapists, who be therapists who are serious about Bowen theory, uh, work in their own families, do this work themselves, because until you've grappled with trying to make these kinds of changes in your own family, you really aren't equipped to help others get go through this process. They can often take time and a lot of experimentation, right? Testing, testing new behaviors to see what impact it has on the family. That's how you learn about how your family works. Every family is unique, even though the principles are very similar. So <clears throat> today, this is Mercy Russell with a Remarkable Relationship Show. I've been talking about Bowen Family Systems Theory. This is the bedrock of the way I think about, about relationships. So in my show, when I'm talking to other people, I'm underneath my questions, my curiosity, my fascination, my excitement about what other people are experiencing and what they've done is this way of understanding the importance of relationships. So it's often very implicit in the way that I think, not as explicit. Today, I've given you a little lecture, sort of an introduction. Uh, for those of you who have been you know, interested in this, um, I thank you for um, joining me today. Um, and please remember that you are free to, con to contact me with any questions at mercy at leadershipwithmercy.com. Um, I welcome your questions and um, I look forward to learning about more of what interests you. So please feel free to contact me. Um, this is Mercy Russell with the Remarkable Relationship Show. Thank you. <laughs>